sex should be fun, exciting, pleasurable, safe, and messy. Mm -hmm. And if you're concerned about any of those things, then talk to people you're having sex with to make sure that everyone's on the same page. All right, everybody, welcome to the Jeff Mara podcast. Tonight's guest is Yael Rosenstock-Gonzalez. She's a sexologist, speaker, facilitator, and author of the book, An Intro Guide to a Sex-Positive You, Lessons, Tales, and Tips. She's also the founder of Kaleidoscope Vibrations, LLC, a company that's dedicated to creating and supporting spaces for individuals to explore and find community in their personal identities. Tonight, we'll be um, discussing sex questions and topics that you would like to know about, but you're too embarrassed to ask. You can DM me if you don't want anybody to know who you are. If you are embarrassed, I will not say your name. I'll be using a fake name today. I'll say you are Larry Velvet. How about that? Everyone. Everyone is Larry Velvet. Everyone is Larry Velvet. So, Yael, thank you so much for joining me. I've been looking forward to your interview, and I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. I was reading your bio, and I learned that you are Jewish and Puerto Rican and queer. So uh, even though generally cultures are the same, probably those are very similar. They're just kind of separated by a few religious differences. But growing up in those cultures, did you find that your family supportive of you or not when you came out? That's interesting. So I expected to not have to come out. I, mm-hmm. My father started Queen's Theater in the Park. Mm-hmm. And as is stereotypical, uh, there were a lot of gay men at the Queen's Theater in the Park. Right? It's a theater that had live shows. Sure, of <laughs> and course. And so I grew up thinking that most men were gay because yeah. the men in my life were. Oh, wow. And yeah, and, and my family never seemed to have an issue. Uh, my mother actually made fun of her cousins mm-hmm. or somewhat criticized them when they weren't welcoming of their kids when they came out. Right. And thought it was silly. And so when I realized that I was queer, I thought that I wouldn't need to come out, that it would just be like, that's it. And realistically for my father, he didn't really care. Mm-hmm. But my mother, I found out, was definitely cool with the idea of someone being a lesbian. Mm-hmm. But the idea of someone not either being straight or gay didn't resonate with her. She found that to be problematic. And so we are in a process of, she's, you know, obviously loves me. She, uh, she cares about me, mm-hmm. but that is a part of my identity that is difficult for her. And what do you mean by that? That you don't, you, so you're saying that you don't, extend, I, you would say you identify as bi then because you're not really straight or gay? I identify as queer. I identify as pansexual. Pansexual mm-hmm. means that I am attracted to people. not to their genders. And bisexual really means the same thing. Bisexual is attraction to two or more genders. Right. But the way that it's generally understood is two genders. And the way that people often see it is like this 50-50 idea. And so because of the stereotypes around the term bisexual, it's not one that I identify with. Hmm. And I use queer because I'm like, you don't really need to know who I'm having sex with. It just tells you I'm not straight. Right. And I guess queer is kind of a general umbrella for just not straight, period. And I love it. It's great. It's kind of. It also you know, can be used for gender. Oh, 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 interesting. Yeah, I never really thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting is that you know I'm down in Texas, and I think being queer is a lot more accepted probably over the last twenty years, generally, anyways. But I would assume that it was still in major cities. It's a, even a lot more accepted, and a lot more. You know, people don't. I mean, I I think generally, honestly, most people don't care. Like, I don't care what you do. You know what I mean? What you do in your bedroom is your business, not mine. I don't care. Yeah, and I think that 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 works out for most of us. Um, but then there's questions, there's pushback, there's well, what does that mean? And even within the community itself there is a lot of biphobia and phobia against the people who don't align with a, uh, what's called a mono, mm-hmm. um, mono identity. So if you don't, if you're attracted to more than one gender, then there is criticism within the community by some, wow. because they think that you're like not choosing sides or they wow. think that maybe you're faking it or that you're just on your way to one identity or the other. Uh-huh. So there's still a lot of things going on. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize that it was even within the, queer community that they have some kind of friction going on not with everyone but there definitely does exist would you say that's mostly with older generation or either even younger people doesn't matter i thought maybe you know it's kind of a new you know the old school 
is not down with the new school stuff. You know what I mean? No, because bi- bisexual identity and fluidity have been around for a long time. So it's mm-hmm. not that older generations have an issue with it in particular. Um, it's just, it yeah, it just, it continues to persist. And for example, when I've been on dating sites, mm-hmm. I have experienced from some of the lesbians who have connected with me, not all of them, but some of them, mm-hmm. that they they don't trust me because mm-hmm. I have sex with people who identify as men. Oh, so they get upset about that, huh? There's like some weird dynamic again not for everyone but for some and that like goes into that biphobia even just general homophobia do you think that straight people have homophobia maybe they're worried about they could get converted themselves i don't even like to use the word converted you know what i mean that's probably the worst word to use but they might all of a sudden you know it might why is that you know like what is the fear with that yeah i dated someone who like thought that homophobia should mean that you are literally scared of gay people as in like they walk by and you're like ah so frightening Uh but it it's really it's a discomfort with the fact that we exist or that queer people exist right that's what homophobia is that like yes you feel in some way threatened Mm -hmm. that you maybe your existence is different is not what you expect it to be or you are concerned that you may and that's right that's not true for everyone there are there are straight people in the world right but this idea that like that can somehow threaten your masculinity or your femininity mm-hmm. or your straightness. And right. so you push back against it because you don't want that to be questioned. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Makes sense. As a researcher, I do want to mention bisexual people have some of the worst health outcomes. So if you compare straight um, and mono, so any monosexual, right? Lesbians, gays, straight and bisexual people, mm-hmm. they have worse, uh, their mental health um, conditions are higher. Mm-hmm. They're more the most likely to experience domestic violence. Like there's just a lot of really unfortunate scenarios going on there. Like worse um, birthing outcomes. Mm, interesting. Why is that? Or what is your theory about that? So we don't know why that is, but there are multiple theories. And one is the additional layer of biphobia. So like whether you're in the straight community or the gay community, you're not having your needs met. Mm-hmm. A big issue that does happen in gynecological care mm-hmm. or like so this is in particular for bisexual women mm-hmm. who have vulvas. Right. And when you go to the doctor, people are more likely to assume that you don't need certain care if you're a lesbian or bisexual. I, that, I don't know. That's weird. Yes, it is. There's this false assumption that lesbians can't get STIs, um, that they don't need healthcare surrounding pregnancy and pregnancy prevention. Right. And so lesbians and bisexuals get pregnant, have accidental pregnancies at fairly high rates because they're not being served in that way. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make any sense for me. I mean, everybody and being in the healthcare field myself, I mean, you take everybody, you still treat them like a human being and they get the same service. I just don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a gynecologist, so I don't know what, what they do in their office, but you know what I mean? You would think that any everybody's a person or everybody's a human and you just treat everybody the same. Well, so, I mean, there's different needs depending on what you're doing, but the most useful way to talk to someone around their sexual health is just to ask them who they're having sex with. Oh. Right. So like, are you, ha- if you have a vulva and you're having yeah. sex with a penis, you right. are therefore potentially could have a pregnancy. <laughs> right? yes. so if you ask someone, what does that look like? And so queer friendly and queer based health professionals do ask those kinds of questions versus being like, oh, how do you identify? I'm a lesbian. Well, then you must not have sex with penises. And that's just not true. Right. Do you think, I mean, I even have some, I'm going to have some interesting questions that just always popped up, pop in my mind. And, um, and, uh, and uh, it'll be interesting as we go along. All right, so let's go back to your book. I'm going to try to keep sure. plugging your book because I want you to I want you <laughs> I want you to sell lots of books. Absolutely. I'm here I'm here for you to help you sell lots of books. Seriously, I want I really want you to have massive success. I appreciate that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the back of your book, it also says that you are Polly. So yeah. can you for the people who don't never heard of Polly? Um, can you please explain what that is and are you still poly or are you in more of a monogamous relationship? Sure. So polyamorous is the ability to love and be in relationship with more than one person at a time. Right. And like bisexual, um, or any other non mono, uh, sexual orientation, it does not go away based upon your relationship status. So if you are a bisexual, 
woman and you were dating a man, you are not now straight. You're still bisexual. Mm -hmm. So if you were polyamorous and dating one person, that does not make you straight. Uh, it does not make you monogamous. Right. It just makes you dating one person. And so in my case right now, it, it, we are in COVID and I am as a public health professional trying to be careful. Mm -hmm. So I am having sex and in relationship with one person. Just one person. Just one person. Um, and for me, polyamory doesn't mean that I have to maintain multiple relationships at a time. Mm -hmm. It means that I don't believe in not allowing relationships to go where they naturally flow. Right. And so if I meet someone and we have a great connection, I don't understand why we wouldn't follow that connection. Right. And me already having a beautiful connection with someone else to me does not interfere with that. And so for, that's what polyamory looks like in my case, but there's right. lots of different versions of it. You know, and being in relationship almost is kind of like contractual, you know what I mean? In a way, it's like, you know, especially monogamous is like, okay, I'm going to see you and you're only going to see me and that's it. So it sounds like in your situation, it's kind of more of an open relationship. Like you have someone, but you, as you just said, if you meet someone else and want to see where that goes, you're, it's open for you to explore that. Right. Correct. Correct. And so there's different words for it. There's also ethical non-monogamy. Ethical non-monogamy. Okay. All right. Okay. So the basic idea is in order for you to use these terms, mm -hmm. the assumption is that everyone involved is aware. And right. perhaps if you, if you have a one night hookup, that person might not be aware of all the intricacies of your life because mm -hmm. they don't need to be. Oh, okay. So you don't tell Anyone about those <laughs> not one night hookups. Those oh, are I do. Kept, I tell everyone the I down speak low. with. Oh, okay. <laughs> I tell everyone I speak with. Uh -huh. But ethically, if the intention is for you, for you to have a one night stand with someone like they might not care. They might not even know your name, right? So right. they don't necessarily need to know your, your life history. Right. But if you are in relationships with different people, they all must know, in my version of polyamory mm -hmm. and ethical non-monogamy, the ethical part is that everyone's aware of what's going on and is on board. Is on board with it. Okay, that's cool. Otherwise, it's cheating. I've, you're right. <laughs> you are definitely right. And I like how you, there is the open communication and honesty. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, let me ask you this. Are there limits to a number of people that can be in a poly relationship? Does it usually tap out at three or four or can it, you know what I mean? Like, is, is there, are there any boundaries like that? I never thought about that until recently, but. I can't name the author of the article, but there's an article mm -hmm. where the author compares polyamory relationships to something having to do with a car and that metaphor is completely lost on me mm -hmm. but the idea is t um, helping people understand the different levels of trust and openness within the relationships mm -hmm. and so that's one level and so far as like some folks feel the need to approve their partners partners okay it's like a vetting system right and it's like very very controlled and then you have the other level where mm -hmm. people don't create labels for the people in their lives there's mm -hmm. no sort of like checking in like you just go mm -hmm. with whatever the flow might be mm -hmm. and so in the other part is like that's as far as the control aspect and mm -hmm. the check-in aspect mm -hmm. but you could also be in a polyamorous relationship where three people together are having sex that's a triad mm -hmm. four people together are having sex that's a quad right but the rest kind of just like imagine just little lines right, right. so i could be sleeping with two people and those two people could be sleeping with two people each and like and you can go on. The most I've ever been in a relationship with was four people at a time. All right. Let me ask you this. Is it more common to just have triads or quads or just people that are kind of have other relationships while they have this main person? You know what I mean? So Which some one's more have main people, but not everyone does. Not that everybody. would be hierarchical polyamory. Okay. Um, I don't think, I could be wrong, but I don't think we have data on that because we don't have... I don't think we have national estimates of what the different types of polyamorous relationships look like. Mm -hmm. So I honestly have no idea what's more common. I don't know very many people who are in triads or quads. Most people I know are either hierarchical, hierarchical. Okay. So they have their main person and then they date around mm -hmm. or they're like non-labely and just, they just have different people they love. It's just for. whatever they hook up with and whatever, whatever goes and goes. I guess they have to be pretty in check with their emotions and not get jealous, you know? Yeah, and jealousy is natural. It happens. But the difference, I think, between poly and monogamous relationships, because plenty of people get jealous in monogamous sure, relationships. Sure, of course. Mm -hmm. Is that you talk about it. Like, yeah. there's a there's a, a queer comedian who's just like, 
you schedule a talk to talk about how the feelings might feel about the feelings of this feeling. Right? Oh. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of communication and it is a popular form of relationships in the queer community in particular. Right. And so just the idea of talking everything out is already part of our, our culture. Right. Let me ask you this. And um, I saw this right when the pandemic broke out and it was from the New York City Public Service, and they recommended people not having orgies right now because of the pandemic. And I was kind of yes. surprised, I was really surprised to see that as a public service announcement. And so I'm, you know, I mean, I'm not in that, I'm not in that community that, that participates. So I don't know if it's, is that going, I'm just not aware of it. Is that really going on a lot? And is it, or is that everywhere and i'm just kind of like like i said i'm just not naive about it or or and what there's do you, a decent number of orgies going on for sure and even, in new york city i imagine it's quite high i right. do agree with public service announcement not the right time of course orgies. yeah of course yeah but there's one. lots of sex parties in particular in new york city right it's, there's sex parties every night um at least not covid time and right. so you're likely to end up in a multi-person sexual space there does that usually happen in manhattan or is that spread out to the boroughs as well I'm not an orgy person, so I'm not looking up at looking into it. But right. the, the sex parties happen across the boroughs, so I imagine the orgies do too. Uh, yeah, so it's probably <laughs> everywhere. That's interesting. Yeah, it's very yeah. interesting. Um, okay, so let's go. Let's check here. And I love um, though that that was the PSA. <laughs> yeah, wasn't that crazy? I got a question here from Larry Velvet that wants to know: Are orgies legal or and sex parties legal in New York or not? I don't know why an orgy wouldn't be legal um, as long as everyone's consenting. Mm -hmm. As far as sex parties are concerned, you're not allowed to like show nipples if you're serving alcohol. So sex parties mm -hmm. tend like very specifically nipples and I imagine genitalia as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that the sex parties tend to have no alcohol policies, but I'm quite positive. There's a very clear, like if there's alcohol, there is no nipples. Interesting. And New York state as a, as a state nipples can be free. Every gender is allowed to walk around. So if you are walking down the streets of New York city, anyone mm -hmm. can be nipples out and open, um, but not within within in uh locations i wonder why they do that i wonder why alcohols you know why is that a problem that's real interesting i don't know but i also imagine you do you need to have like if you serve food you might not be able to have sex mm -hmm. or sex parties because mm -hmm. of like department hygiene issues right and so far as like the legality around it but i'm right. pretty sure that is, if people are consenting and there's no alcohol that the sex is legal right and that no one's being paid because sex work is illegal in New York City. I was gonna, that's kind of where I was going to is sex work is, um, is it legal or not in New York City? I would assume it's not. Sex work is illegal across the United States. The only mm -hmm. place that it is legal is Nevada, but it's not legal on a personal level. It's legal in brothels. And so if you are an independent sex worker, mm -hmm. you could still be picked up and penalized under their code um, for prostitution. Yeah. And New York city does have a decriminalization advocacy group that is currently working to change our laws mm -hmm. so that sex work can become legal, right. but at the moment it remains uh, in the penal code. Right. Do you think it should become legal? I think it should become decriminalized. So decriminalized, the difference between decriminalized and le uh, legalized is that legalized puts a lot of control in the government about what can and cannot be done. And you mm -hmm. regulate the people. Right. Decriminalization sees sex work as a job, which I believe it should be seen. Right. Look at how they work. And, you know, they would still be paying taxes. They would still be all doing all those things that you would expect of a normal job, mm -hmm. but you're not putting an act an added layer of potentially problems on sex workers. Right. I, can, I would agree with that. I mean, I'm the same way. And I, I thought I've heard or read some studies that showed where it is legal, the incident of rape goes down. And trafficking should be addressed because sex workers can't go to the police, right? right? They're, they're criminalized. So if they get raped, they can't tell the police that they got raped right. during a sex work encounter. So that means that that person now gets to go continue raping others. Right. If they are physically violent, they can't tell you, oh, this guy likes to pull out a knife and like knife people. Right. And so that person gets to continue knifing people. Right. And then if you have, if you have people that are being trafficked, you also can't go to the cops because you would you, you would have to go to the cops to let someone know that you saw someone being trafficked. Right. So there's all these ways in which sex workers and trafficking victims are put at risk by criminalizing sex work. Yeah. I, I don't understand. I just, you know, maybe there's just a lot of things that the government does that I just don't understand. You know, what, what, 
there's some, you know, who's idea, you know, who's running the place and what, where's the thinking here? You know, it's just crazy. Um, all right. So now that it's COVID times and everybody, or I get people are now, they're not where I'm in Texas. It seems like people just don't care anymore. And they're just starting to leave and not even wear masks anymore. They're just tired of it. But for some places, people are still, you know, generally stuck inside. So do you have any tips to help people increase their physical intimacy while they're stuck together in their apartment or house or wherever they might be? Excellent question. I published an article about this two days ago. Oh, cool. <laughs> Seven tips. And so I'll get to, I guess, the, the most physical ones, mm -hmm. which one of those things is like taking pictures for each other. And this can be used for folks, whether or not they're with one another. Mm -hmm. And so having pictures, taking home videos mm -hmm. um, and creating erotica. So oh. if, uh, for some of us, I don't particularly enjoy watching porn. It doesn't really get me excited, but I love to read my mm -hmm. porn. Interesting. And if you can write me a porn that is dedicated to me. And I'm not inviting random people to write me porn, but someone who knows uh, me, uh -huh. right? porn uh -huh. uh, that to me is one of the sexiest things right because i get to i have this personal level yeah other things that are like physical but not necessarily sexual uh -huh. like cleaning each other up so if you shower together uh -huh. literally rubbing each other down right. getting people sudsy like it's a really great opportunity to physically connect right. that may then get you horny yes but it's kind of this care touch right which builds it. and also sex is messy and yes. so Care, uh, doing cleanup care post a sexual encounter where everyone's liquids are everywhere. So whether that's looking wherever the liquids were coming from or using napkins to wipe them up also can build intimacy. Right. And of course, the things that are, you know, less, less about sex, but that's spending time together. So trying new things, mm -hmm. whether it's like building a birdhouse or cooking a meal. Whatever it is that you get to be with one another and not just at separate ends of an apartment reading or watching TV or playing video games. Right. Those are great. Thank you. Different sexual activities have always been out there. I mean, it goes back to the Kama Sutra thousands of years ago, but some are being made popular again. Would you have, can you give us like, you know, do you have your eye on or your, since you're a sexologist, your fingers on the pulse of the, of the uh, sexual world. So do you have new activities that are becoming popular again and people are now discovering and what may they be? Yeah. So I, I just, I'm trying to remember this, the statistics, but something around 20 to 30% for a bunch of different activities, like tying folks up, spanking, mm -hmm. slapping, mm -hmm. um, anal sex has become far more common, at least trying anal sex right um as far as like how many people have it regularly that's not as high but people who have tried it is much higher right um pegging is something that is becoming more popular that folks are talking about and i'm part of a study right now that's also talking about choking and choking has become very popular that's kind and, of isn't that a little dangerous and that's the issue we don't have research about mm -hmm. choking and safety and yeah. so there have been cases of people who have who have died, right. um, most of the cases have been auto-asphyxiation. So people, while masturbating, have choked themselves and they've died. So they were alone and there was no one to address that. Mm -hmm. But there have, been ha there have been a couple of cases of people together also dying. Wow. Um, but for the most part, there are lots of folks engaging in choking and they all most of them seem to be doing all right. And so it is very popular. The issue is how many people are doing this because they are asking to have it done to them versus... Mm -hmm. You know, you see it somewhere versus like you just young people are now kind of just expecting it to be part of sex, it seems. For some. Wow. Yeah. And that is I mean, I'm fairly young and like that was just not part of our conversation. Yeah. Ten yeah. years ago, you right. know, and today it's like, oh, yeah, everyone's choking. Wow. Have you tried it? No, I, if someone touches my neck, I cry. Oh, okay. so. <laughs> oh interesting. Yeah. Uh -oh. <laughs> I have a little bit of a phobia. Of course. Of yeah. <laughs> and so it's not about choking. It's just about in general. So okay. it, it means that I will never be engaged in that activity. But uh, for some folks, it has to do with a desire to feel closer uh -huh. for others' domination. For others, it's the excitement of the danger. Right. There's a lot of motivators for why people are engaged in this activity, but it is interesting how popular it's becoming. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I think the guy, um, the singer from Yen Excess, I don't know if you know about him. I think that's maybe how he died. Was there was a, a famous person who died that way. So. Yeah, like some kind. Of, I think he was hanging himself or something yeah. in a closet. So that, 
that of course would be very dangerous, right? To hang yourself and then not have anyone around. Wow. And the folks that we've spoken to, it hasn't necessarily been because of the physical sensation. A lot of folks have spoken about the personal connection that comes with it, mm. um, which I thought was interesting because I had assumed it had to do with the loss of air. Yeah, I did too. But um, not from the people that I've spoken to. Wow. I wonder if it's some kind of like, you know, the, the a rape fantasy or being forced, you know what I mean? Or trapped. I think there's a level of power dynamic for sure, mm -hmm. but it didn't sound for most, I mean, for some people there was that, right? This desire to um, dominate or be dominated. Mm -hmm. But honestly, there was a lot of talk about it just being like, we are so connected because of this act. In some oh. way, it is very intimate for hmm. some people. Wow. Yeah, it's super, super interesting. And the other part was that a lot of these folks that we spoke to didn't actually identify as kinky. Mm -hmm. or with the BDSM community. It's just kind of, oh, this isn't, this is just part of what mm -hmm. for us is normal sex. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the BDSM community has been around forever, but maybe they got more popular with Fifty Shades of Grey or something. Yes. And I, I imagine grew a lot with Fifty Shades of Grey. Right. Is pegging only a woman, a woman pegging a man? Or if a woman does it to a woman, is that still called pegging? Excellent question. From what I understand, it is specifically a woman, uh, giving anal sex to a man though I choose to define it as someone using a strap on right. to penetrate someone who has a penis. Okay. Cause I have folks in my world who have penises, but don't identify as trans. They're not trans women, but they're also don't identify as men. Okay. And that, that act would still probably be considered pegging because they were identified males birth at birth mm. um, or signed male at birth. Right. And so, yeah, I would just say someone putting on a strap on, to then fuck someone who has a penis. Right. So basically that's it. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. It's like, I feel like I'm back in science class a little bit. We're making like all these clarifications of like an, an nomenclature of what is, you know, this is defining all these acts and who, who gets what. And it's interesting. Because otherwise it's just ain't no sex. Right. <laughs> I think it was coined by, uh, what's his name? Very Dan Savage. I think Dan Savage coined pegging because it was becoming something that was being done mm -hmm. with enough frequency that didn't have its own name. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's my edit to his definition. That's your edit. It works for me. Yeah. All right. Okay. Here's two things. First thing is, is that I spoke with someone recently and she said the same part of your brain that controls orgasm also can helps deal with you being assertive and getting things done in life. And people who have trouble with or not having orgasms also have trouble with, you know, ambition, getting things done. Have you heard or read anything about that or have an opinion on that? I have never heard that before. It's not that it may very well exist. Right. But I haven't done any research into like the neurological connections about orgasm. Right, and I didn't look it up myself. I was gonna look it up prior to this conversation. I just, I just, I forgot or whatever. But I, but I still had my question here for you. So, but what I can say is, I am assertive as fuck, oh, and okay. I am <laughs> ambitious as can be, mm -hmm. and I am someone who it requires time to reach orgasm okay. with a partner. Okay. So, Insofar as like personal anecdote, that wouldn't be true. That wouldn't be true. Do you think people are having trouble having orgasms now because of the pandemic? They're just too stressed out or whatever. There seems to be a lot of diversity in how folks are responding. So there are definitely people who are like, the world is burning and I can't feel sexual with the world burning. Right. There are other people who I've heard, um, particularly mothers who are at home with their children 24-7 and children right need a lot of physical care. And so who don't want to be touched mm -hmm. by anyone because they're just so exhausted by how much touching they're doing throughout the day by being mm -hmm. with their kids all the time. Mm -hmm. And then there are other people like myself who are taking this as an opportunity to engage in lots of sexual activity. Cause I mean, I, I find sex to be healing and, and mm -hmm. pleasurable. Sure. And so for me, it, it has increased my sex drive and right. Yeah. I mean, why not? You got all this for extra time. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't have extra time, but oh, uh, you're lucky. <laughs> so you were mentioning porn earlier. Do you think it, it it is a good thing and helpful for relationships or a bad thing? I think that it really depends on what that looks like. So if you have someone, if the situation is that one partner is watching porn and choosing not to have sex with their partner who wants to be having sex mm -hmm. and instead masturbating, 
that's the problem, right? right? Like if if you're unable to connect and your sexual drives are unaligned, that's a problem. Right. But if you're engaging in porn and healthy levels of masturbation, healthy level of just like masturbation that does not interfere with your daily life, Mm -hmm. then that's fine. And you can use it to learn new. I mean, as long as you're asking each other about it, but learning new moves, learning new activities um, as a way to excite each other. So maybe someone's not feeling that sexy, but one of you really enjoys visuals. And so you watch porn together and then right. you can get horny together. Right. I mean, like I said, making home videos as someone who doesn't like porn, mm. I do find home videos very arousing. And so that can be another use of it, even if it's not professional porn. Mm-hmm. You do want to pay for your porn though. So if you are using free porn, it is quite possible the people in that video might not be getting paid well or might be exploited. Right. Um, when you go to sites that are ethical and pay their workers, like it is very clear. And, oh. and that to me is like a whole other level, not to do with your personal relationship, but with your relationship with the world. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't think about that because I figured just everybody gets it for free online, you know, like whatever, porn tube or. Crashpad series is an excellent site for queer porn. Uh-huh. Um, and they, you know, they pay their workers. Everyone seems really happy. And there's actually like after, if you wanted to watch every mm-hmm. single episode comes with an interview with the two people or however many people were involved in the scene. Mm-hmm. And they talk about their experience with the scene. Very interesting. Crash pad series. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Is that like actors that are normally in the business or it sounds like that they're people that are new to the business when they're talking about their situation? Well, it ranges. There are folks who that's their first experience with porn and there are folks who are been doing porn forever and Crash Pad has to be one that they love. I think there's a seven episode limit per actor. Mm-hmm. So for like they, they can do it as much as they want in the real in the outside world, but with oh. Crash Pad I think it's up to seven times. Oh, interesting. That's very interesting. But I could be wrong about that. I just I feel like I read that somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I never heard of it, but I don't know everything. What do you think about the sites? Like, you, what do you think about, like, to me, like the people who are like live cam models and now, I mean, to me, that's great because they actually, yeah. they don't even have to physically get involved with anybody if they don't want to. And it's safe for them. Yes, I think that's excellent. What a great way to have control over your own mm-hmm. porn creation, right? I, I think as long as you are comfortable in what you're doing, then yes, and you're also controlling how much you're being paid. You're being you're controlling who's getting to view you and what they're viewing. Like all the power to all the web cameras. Right. If you are making movies at home, are you afraid that they're going to get leaked out? I am not asking hackers to hack me. Please don't do that. That's Please. not nice. Right. Um, I really love Jennifer Lawrence's response to when her selfies um, or when her sec- uh, her photos were leaked. Right. That is a crime against the person who you're leaking. Right. And to me, it's a form of sexual assault. You have taken someone's body and you've done something with it that was mm. not consensual. Right. I have nothing to be ashamed for. Right. In taking pictures of myself or engaging in homemade movies. Right. I have no reason to be ashamed. So if they were to be leaked, mm. shame on the leaker, mm. not shame on me. But right. I have no desire to share those things with the outside world. That is my private space. Right. So that's that's where I stand. Do you think if someone started a business and they did like they said, okay, I will come to your house. I promise I'll keep everything private, but I will film you and your partner or whatever, you know, partners mm-hmm. and make you your own homemade porn for a certain amount of money. Do you think that would work? My guess is that exists. I just saw a post um, of someone doing that via Zoom. Uh, via Zoom? I mean, the, yeah, I don't know how you... <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I don't know how you would film film somebody via Zoom, but... Yeah, I think it was because of COVID. This person, I think, normally does work in person, but because of COVID, they the couple put up a, like the, the laptop yeah. in front of their bed, and this person took stills and short films. Wow, man, that's interesting. Okay, he has to be the director. Move the, move the laptop to the left a little bit. I think they were mostly demonstrating like spanking techniques and other stuff, but just also like their Mm -hmm. relationship together. Right. Um, But I, my, my guess was that this person probably does the, I don't know. They, they thanked the couple saying, thank you for inviting me into your space. Right. But um, I, I just assumed that this was something that they did outside again, normally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I know that like people take what they call boudoir photos, if I'm Mm -hmm. even pronouncing that right. That seems to be pretty popular. But I wonder if anybody, like I said, took it to the next level and just said, hey, come over and film me and my husband or whatever. 
I would be really shocked if that's not already happening. I've taken, I haven't done anything sexual, but I'm part of what's called the Diverse Bodies Project. Mm-hmm. And we have photographed like 45 people uh, nude at this point. Right. Like that's what the project is about. And these are mostly like strangers coming to a space that we invite them to and we take their photograph. Of uh, that's nice that people don't mind that you're taking their photographs of them. Well, I mean, they only come if they want. The Diverse Bodies Project is intended to increase representation mm-hmm. of nude persons. And so the idea is all different ages, genders, sexes, nationalities, um, sizes, colors, what have you, mm-hmm. that we want to be able to say, here are these beautiful folks, however they identify, maybe they don't identify as beautiful, wherever they are in their body journey and how they connect their sexuality. And so we're taking those photographs and we interview them as well mm-hmm. while they're naked. And we're putting together a book mm-hmm. with quotations from their interviews and images from their from their photo shoot. Okay. Let me kind of go back to this. Um, since we are giving our nomenclature of different identities, do they have like an, uh, do you have a number or, I mean, not you personally, but is there a number of like how many identities there are? You already knew what I was going to no, ask no, no, you. No. You're just shaking my head. No, no, because I mean, no. Um, <laughs> I feel like five years ago, there were 27 letters for the LGBTQIA2, whatever, whatever, whatever. Wow. Um, and that was like years ago. So I can't mm-hmm. imagine how many letters can be added today. Mm-hmm. I know in my book, I list probably 10 to 15 genders. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 10 to 15 sexual orientations. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, there are a lot of them. And then the fact that different cultures, like India, for example, has a third gender, like an established third gender Oh, wow. Um, that has been around for thousands of years. And, oh, and there are other cultures that have established third or fourth. I don't know if any of the cultures have established fifth genders, like specifically that have been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. But the the ancient Hebrew texts identify, I think, six different sexes. Wow. That's in the ancient Hebrew texts. Is that in the, um, what is that called? You know, like you heard, Ma- like Madonna had studied it and some people studied ah. it. Um, uh, the spiritual. Uh, right, right. That's yeah. not what you're speaking of as the ancient text you were talking about that they had identified no, that many I think genders. it might be the Talmud. I think it's like the commentary. Mm. Um, but yeah, you're talking about mysticism. Yeah, Jewish maybe mysticism. that's stiffism. All right, hold on. Let me get another question here from, from Larry Velvet again. And um, th- and this may be something that uh, this is wondering is homo. Do you believe? I don't know. I mean, not really believe, but this person's asking: Is homosexuality or being queer a choice, or is that something you're born with? Excellent question. Because there's mm-hmm. all this talk about like mm-hmm. born that way versus sexuality is fluid, right. and so for some folks, like your sexuality was clear and cut at the get right right and, and realistically like when we're little we often don't have attraction up until a certain point mm-hmm. um and gender for example gender starts to be developed around two years okay. old and so there are trans kids who are coming out at three years old quite confidently because they're aware of their gender mm-hmm. with sexuality folks folks might feel comfortable in the space that they are at and then at 30 years old they fall in love with someone of a gender they didn't expect right and that hasn't diminished the life that they have led. That does not mean that they've been lying to themselves. It just mm-hmm. means that they didn't experience that thing that they just experienced. Mm-hmm. And now they ha- they're having that. And so that's not a choice per se. That's just like people, b- because we see straight as the norm, Right. it means that everything else has to be explained. But like, what made you straight? Was that a choice? Right. Or like, did you choose to be straight? Is just as valid a question as did you choose to be gay? Right. During the the women's liberation movement, the second wave feminism, I think um, there were women who chose to be lesbians, right? They chose politically to not be with men. Mm-hmm. And that was a choice, but presumably mm-hmm. they had some level of attraction to women. Otherwise that would have been a very uncomfortable choice. Right. But that's, that's still very different than like choosing. You're not choosing attraction. You're just choosing who to be with. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to help you on your book here. And it's best to let you tell us. Tell me, what is your book about? And can you give us, you know, I guess that's best the easiest way to ask is just what is your book about? Sure. So I broke up into three sections. Mm -hmm. The first section is awareness of yourself. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about, are you a giver or a taker, right? Mm -hmm. And that's particularly important because people will connect with others and not be aware that they either like to be ravished in bed or like to ravish others. And so if you have two people who just want to be ravished and don't really want to touch the other person, that's not going to work out so hot. 
Right. But if you have one person who loves to be eaten out and another person who loves to eat out, you got a winner, right? Yes. And so <laughs> understanding your sexual identities, mm-hmm. how you partner, right? So mm-hmm. the monogamous, non-monogamous conversation, mm-hmm. your gender identities, your orientations. Um, and so all of those pieces, the second part is boundaries, consent, and communication. And so mm-hmm. figuring out what you do and do not want to be doing, how to set those boundaries, whether or not you're communicating those things clearly mm-hmm. and how to make sure that you're respecting other folks. So you don't end up in a potential, you don't want to become someone's nightmare. And so right. how do you avoid becoming someone's negative memories? Mm-hmm. And the third section is exploration um, tied in with like what I thought was out of responsibility. I added some stuff about like STIs and Mm-hmm. things like that just mm-hmm. to make sure in case people were unsure about what a condom was or what have you but mostly it's exploration so intimacy with self intimacy with your partners talks mm-hmm. about sex parties and stuff like that mm-hmm. okay interesting and now you also have what is the um kaleidoscope vibrations company about sure and so as you said before it's about helping people find confidence and community in their identities mm-hmm. as someone who is white presenting and latina Mm-hmm. and Jewish, but with a Catholic mother mm-hmm. and queer, but like dated mostly men to begin with. Mm-hmm. Like I had a lot of confusion. I didn't feel like I was queer enough, Latin enough, Jewish enough. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I didn't feel like I belonged and right. I felt the need to prove myself. Mm-hmm. And so this company is about helping people learn to find themselves as valid and to find other folks that they can connect with. So they see themselves as whatever it is that they're seeking to see themselves as, or want to understand themselves as. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you're saying that about that you just never felt like you belonged. At least at some point, I'm assuming now you you've gotten over. The, I mean, I don't know if you've gotten over that, but you've, you're not that yeah. way anymore. And I I was always really I was always part of lots of different groups. Mm-hmm. I just like I I literally didn't know what bubbles to fill. Like every time I had to fill out those stupid tests, and you were yeah. like, "What's your race?" And I'm like, right. "I don't know." Like, right. am I am I white? Am I Latin? Like, why is mm-hmm. that like? So many of us are white and Latin. Like, why do I have to choose between those two things? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, for for me, I think a lot of it is also that the country was so strict about how they divide us, uh, divided us up and mm-hmm. wouldn't let us understand our own selves and identities. And in right. school, kids divide themselves up. And so I never felt connected to white kids um, that weren't Jewish or Latin. Right. But I also didn't know if I, like, should be in other spaces. Um and today I, I am in mostly Jewish and people of color spaces that are queer. That just happens to be where I land and there's lots of us. Right. You said that primarily you were dating men. So mm-hmm. at what point or what had happened when you, did you just have a friend that you, you know, like a really close friend that happened to be female or, and then at that point you just kind of became attracted to her and things just kind of happened or what was the, the how did that, how did that happen? If you don't mind sharing. Yeah. One day I'll ask my best friend about this, but I feel like I, every single year I'd have the same conversation with my best friend. Oh, wow. And in high school, I always said, well, I'm not a hundred percent straight. Like I knew that that wasn't true. I was like, I think I'm 80% straight, uh-huh. but there's no such thing as an 80% straight checkbox, right? Cause the checkboxes were gay, straight, lesbian. Right. right. And so for me, I was like, I, I, I always knew that I was attracted to women. I just thought that everyone was attracted to women. I thought that the whole world was attracted to women because women were just more attractive. Right. And so to me, I was like, well, that doesn't make me queer. That just makes me human. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it turns out not everyone is attracted to women. Um, <laughs> and and that is, in fact, me being queer. But it took me, I probably started having this conversation in my early, early teens. Mm-hmm. And I was in my probably mid-20s the first time I had sex with a woman. And it was right. in a threesome. Oh, wow. And I specifically wanted to have a threesome because I didn't want to experiment and be one of those like by curious individuals who experiments with a lesbian or what have you. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to enter a space where everyone felt comfortable with the scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and once that happened, I was like, okay, I feel more comfortable with this. And I started to navigate it, but it, I still find dating women tricky because picking them up in person, I'm always scared about coming off in an aggressive way. I don't want to remind them of all the men that have asked them, out or complimented them sure. and made them feel uncomfortable and unsafe. Mm-hmm. And so I prefer to meet women online where like, I know you're looking for me too. Yeah. And I don't, I don't feel icky. Yeah. In that original threesome, was it you and a man and a woman or you and yeah. two women? It was me and a man and a woman. You were at a very kinky party. 
<laughs> I was at a kink party, yeah, kink, right. uh, sex party. What is that and, party like? Let me because for for those yeah. who've never been to one, give us some visuals here. That party felt like a I keep calling it a low cost film. It was a like co- dark and kind of weird. I was also besides this couple, I was probably one of the youngest people there. Right. Um, but there was there was what's called a St. James Cross, which is like a an X basically where folks get up and they get, you know, hit. There was a bondage room where people were being hung from the ceiling with ropes. Right. There were people doing like electrical play with feathers, like touch mm-hmm. play. There were some folks having like penetrative sex. Um, there were all sorts of things going on, but the theme was kink. Does it cost to get into those parties? It does. And I think that I should probably try a more expensive one next time. Okay. Let me ask you this. Is most of those parties, probably they don't want a lot of single dudes there. These are what couples. Most parties. Yeah. Right. Yes. I don't, I, I could be wrong. Maybe there's some great ones out there. Mm -hmm. I would say that most safe parties that are concerned around consent Mm -hmm. do not allow single men in without being vouched for. Right. So you have to be vouched for, um, particularly I would say in the BDSM community, there are lots of men who are in fact predators and they pretend to be dominant or they're aggressive or they're abusive and mm. they call themselves dominant and they're mm. looking for people to abuse. Right. And so you have to be very careful. Um, and it's unfortunate because there are lots of great men out there as well, mm-hmm. but you don't want to invite these people into your space. Of course. Yeah. No. So you were at the party, you just saw another couple and then they maybe invited you and you say, okay, this is the right time to, this feels okay and yeah. safe to try. Yes. But then she dumped him. Oh, she dumped him. And for you and said, no, no, no. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, she wow. You were amazing. We got together. <laughs> and so I had sex with him, but I was like, I'm not really here for you. Oh. I'm here because I wanted to have sex with her. Right. So I made him find us someone else to have sex with. Oh, but you did know them prior to the event. I met them at the party. Oh, you did met them at the party, but at the party, you also just found out that she dumped him. No, no, sorry. So I met them at the party. They invited me to a threesome. And right. before the threesome happened, because we were going to meet at a later date, oh. she dumped him. So I'd been talking to him and he said, actually, she's no longer, we're no longer together. Right. But we can have sex. And I was like, okay, but you need to find someone else for us to have sex with. Oh, you, you need to get another girl. Is that what you're saying? I was because, like, I was here for her. Because I'm not really you. interested in you. <laughs> right. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Okay, here's my own. Um, do you meet many lesbians that have never, ever slept with a man? I do not tend to ask folks who they have and have not slept with. And I don't think I know that many lesbians. I know mostly queer folk. Okay, because I'm curious that, let's say, if you had a lesbian. Like gold star lesbians. I don't, yeah, I don't, I didn't own that. That's a new terminology for me. I need to write, I need to add that. I just learned the word cis recently. I didn't even know that one word either. Congratulations. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) I was, I am curious about if a woman is a lesbian, never slept with a man ever, Mm -hmm. and maybe is even repulsed by men. Mm -hmm. Would she be willing to use a a dildo that's penis shaped? Because then there's that symbol of a man there. So I thought, well, would you use something that's, I mean, you know, like the ones that look exactly like one, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Not like the plastic one that looks like a bullet. So would, would a woman still like find... <laughs> yeah, I know, but but yeah, I don't know the difference between, but you know, some, yeah, okay, right? But you know, the ones that are actually phallic shaped, and then there's ones that are just like, you know, like a bullet shaped, right? So if a woman that was never had a man not interested in men, but still be interested in a phallic shaped one or not. I mean, there are some people who don't like penetration in general, like ever, ever. So they're not going to be interested in it. Of of course. Um, (laughs) But if you like penetration, um, first off, fingers actually tend to be more direct in hitting um, the area that is arousing inside the vagina. Like they're just fingers are, are more direct. Of course. But there are plenty of lesbians who own harnesses and dildos, um, and engage in dildo-based penetrative play. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like a one-size-fits-all. So there are going to be some who never do penetration, others who just do penetration with like hands and arms and fisting or what have you, mm-hmm. and then others who will strap it on. Right. Do, I mean, obviously you're a woman and you're going to be more, you know, your friends and probably your partners are going to be more women. But I'm always curious about this is that 
when you see a gay man that is, you would think that a gay man generally would be attracted to another gay man. You know what I mean? Okay. Yes. But when you see a gay man that's attracted to a man that looks just like a woman, you know what I mean? So is it a man or is this a trans woman? uh, uh, I mean, it's a man still. He may still have a penis, but everything else, look, he'll have breasts and he takes hormones and all this stuff that looks just like... So then she's a woman. She's a woman with a penis. Right. So that's okay. I get, uh, so I'm saying so well, a cis gay man who's right. attracted to a trans woman. Right. So what's it's almost what's the difference between being attracted to a a trans woman than just a cis woman? Like why is so there that I don't think that's that common. My guess is there aren't that many gay men mm-hmm. who are attracted to trans women. Oh, okay. I'm sure there are some. Mhm. That I mean, the gay men who are all about penis might be attracted to a trans woman right? Um, who has a penis. There has been issues insofar as gay men, not a lot of gay men not wanting to be with trans men. Right. Because trans men don't have penises generally. Um, I mean, some do, but a lot of them don't. And so that's like an issue. Like, I mean, the gay man, gay men culture can be quite mean, right? Like they're, they're tender, right? Grinder. Right. Like, is there's lots of really racist comments on there and wow. there's lots of transphobic comments on there. Right. So right. Like we, I don't want trans men. I don't want Asian men. I don't want blank, men, whatever it is. Right. They, they literally right. put that in their profiles. Um, but yeah, I mean, and there's lots of transphobia right. in the gay community and lesbian community, but folks like lesbians, for example, lots of lesbians have partners who are trans women. Right. With penises. Right. Right. Like, but they're dating women. Like everyone's a woman. Just one of them might have a penis. Right. Or both both right. might have a penis. <laughs> yeah. well, let me, let's put it this way. Maybe I should have just started this way. You have like Caitlyn Jenner now, right? Yeah. So Caitlyn at first, when he became a woman, I think he was still, unless he wasn't saying anything to the public. I don't know everything about her life, but so, at first she was attracted to women, I thought. But now she is. Yeah. A, but now she's changed and attracted to men. Yeah, she's an interesting person. Um, she is also, I think, homophobic. Oh wow! <laughs> so, like, I think she's come out saying that women and like men and women should be together. I mm-hmm. think, and like, oh. yeah. So, there's an interesting thing going on with her in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some people whose attraction changes during their transition. Mm. And it's not like a, it's not a guarantee. There's not like, we're unsure about why or how, but there are some people who might start off liking a certain gender and then Mm post-transition that changes. In the same way, like I said before, uh, gender and sexuality are fluid. And so there are ways that things can shift based upon your own experiences of self and your experience of society. So some people are like, I thought I was a lesbian. It turns out I'm a boy Mm -hmm. and I still date women. Right. Mm-hmm. But at first I, w- I thought I was a lesbian. And so I was a woman dating women. And now I'm a, a man and I still date women. And then there are those who identified as lesbians and are now identifying as straight men. Hmm. Oh, sorry, a gay man, gay men. Interesting. Right? And they are now men who date men. Oh. Um, there's no recipe. Right. right? But the, the kind of the point is like we come as we come. And does there have to be a lot of drama around it? Right. Like, can it just be as it is? Right. Um, yeah. And I guess back to my point would be, I was trying to make earlier and I should have just used Caitlin as the perfect example. So if you were a guy and she's now a woman, um, before she had the surgery, right. She was still kind of, she, she had, she was a woman just with a penis for a while. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you were a guy, why wouldn't you just, you're going for a her with a penis, or you could just go with her, period. I mean, why would you, you know what I mean? But you're still going with this female body type, generally. Why would yeah, you choose, so, why would you choose just a, why don't you just go for a woman than a woman with a penis? That's what I'm saying. So there is a lot, so like I said, there's transphobia and gender crap within the queer community, mm-hmm. but the focus on genitalia is very common in the straight world. So this right. question makes a lot of sense. Um, for you, but for me, it doesn't, right? Right. Like what you have between your legs is like really, really, I could give two shits. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm attracted to a person, but if I were to be attracted to a gender, 
Right. I'm attracted to the gender. What they have between their legs is not particularly irrelevant. Right. And it's almost in a way like you could say that you're more pure because you're just really attracted to someone's spirit almost. Not really what body they have, but generally it's deeper, like a spiritual connection. I mean, I like to be attracted to people. <laughs> right? Oh, well, that too, yeah. I like physical attraction. And there are limits, right? I, I am someone who's attracted to all sorts of genders, but mm. I don't generally, I'm not generally attracted to effeminate people. So women who are feminine, sure, but I'm not attracted to hyper-femininity. Oh, interesting. And so like whether you are a woman, man, whatever you identify as, like if you are hyper-feminine, it is unlikely I'll be attracted to you because that's not part of my attraction. Um, I like to be in like a middle space, right? Where folks are bending the gender rules and like mm -hmm. trying to understand one another. Like that's more what I'm attracted to because it, I'm attracted to those values. Right. Do you think all, uh, all this amount of fluidity has always existed or and, it, and it's just becoming more aware of now or that's basically it? Yeah, it's always been there. Just people are kind of defining it and, and speaking about it now. Yes. And also it is still dangerous for a lot of folks, but it is safer now than it has been in a lot of other spaces. But the fluidity has existed, right? The ancient Romans, I think it was the ancient Romans, had like little boys that they would have sex with and they all had wives. Right. Right. And there are kings who were trans women, but oh, interesting. they were kings because they were born and identified, you know, they were uh, male identified, sorry, identified as male at birth, mm -hmm. assigned male at birth, but they were trans women. Oh, but as the, the reign, right. And so, and there are also trans men. Like mm. so, the queens were some of them were trans men. So that's that's always existed. It just who talked about it, where, how, and what was written and what was publicized. Mm -hmm. um, and it was safer for kings and queens because, like, unless your husband or wife's going to chop off your head, you're probably going to be all right. Right. But for the rest of us, it depends. And actually, I have a friend who is Indian and is doing research on India and sexuality. Mm -hmm. And she talks about the fact that within the lower castes, sexuality is more fluid because they just have no reason to care. Right. Um, insofar as like, there's no like need to be this public social figure that has to live by a certain rules. And the mm -hmm. third gender in India tends to be of lower castes. Right. Um, but when you get higher, then there's more rigidity. Right. Right. Because of like this public figure. And so I think probably class has a lot to do with how, how open people are about the fluidity mm -hmm. um, and also the, the safety in the spaces. That's interesting. And I'm not doubting you. I'm just curious because I, would, I wouldn't mind maybe reading up on these people. Can you remember any kings or queens off the top of your head that were? I don't. There's literally a book called Sex with Kings and well, Sex with Queens. Right. And so the books are not about trans folk in particular, but right. they talk about all the different pairings and who was having sex with who and who was the like, potential legitimate children. Mm -hmm. um, like this one king, for, for example, I think was like gay to the point that he could not have sex with a woman. Wow. So he was not going to be able to get his wife pregnant because he just like couldn't make it happen. Wow. Right. And there's lots of gay men who, if need be, can get it up and have sex with <laughs> a woman and they mm -hmm. can make that happen. Right. But this king, he's like, that's just never going to happen. So he had to get someone else to do it for him. Oh, Wow. Interesting. In the air. So yeah, sex with queens, sex with kings. Um, but I'm sure if you Googled like trans kings, that would. I feel like if someone someone must have done that research, just pull it on the internet as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't definitely, I definitely don't doubt it. What do you think about um, poly relationships when people have children? Does it affect the child, or or you know, any? Do you have any input on that? Things affect children, not. There's no reason for love, care, and positive sexuality to have a negative effect on children. Right. Um, studies can show you that there have been negative effects on children of queer parents, like lesbian parents and gay parents, but it's mm -hmm. not because their parents were queer or gay. It's because the society told them that there was something wrong with their families. Right. So as polyamory becomes more mainstream, mm -hmm. we will find the same phenomenon, right? We will learn that children are negatively affected, but not because their homes are negative, but because people will be like, you have a weird setup, like there's yeah. something wrong with you. Or like teachers might say, that's not okay. You know, so that is where the negative problems come in. Um, right. For children, if you tell them, like the same way that like, if you tell a child like, you know, Sam and, and Jeremiah are in love, mm -hmm. okay, cool. And they'll keep walking. They could give two craps. Mm -hmm. 
But if you've told them that only men and women can be in love with each other, then there becomes like a, oh, then that's weird. Mm-hmm. But it's not weird to children if you start off with like, oh, anyone can love anyone. They're like, oh, great, fantastic. They have no reason to have those kinds of prejudices until we teach it to them. Mm-hmm. So if you tell them that love can look like a monogamous relationship or it can look like loving multiple people, mm-hmm. as long as everyone knows, then they're going to grow up believing that that's the possibilities. Right. I've read this, I believe, somewhere before. It was kind of more poly in ancient times, and marriage just came around just to help um, when people die, who gets what? Yeah, you, you capitalism. Know? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, okay, who who inherits what? And, you know, maybe who inherits the throne? Who gets this amount of money? And blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. And, and how do you divide up the goods and ownership? Right. And yes. Yeah, so... There's a really good book called Sex at Dawn mm-hmm. that talks about mating habits of humans and makes um, has theories about like what human mating may have looked like before farming and what have you. And one of the things that they they point out is a that the the divorce rate in the U.S. is right over fifty percent or what have you. Cheating is even higher than that. Mm-hmm. That if if monogamy were natural, right then it would not be so difficult to maintain. And you wouldn't have laws that involve killing people for not doing this natural thing. Right. Yeah, that's a very good point. And they talk about like other things like, I don't, I've never looked into the research. This might just be baloney, but supposedly if uh, someone ejaculates inside of someone with a vagina and then someone else comes and enters that vagina that their penis will remove most of that semen. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that like the last person is most likely to win, but also that the person's body who has a vagina seems to be able to select the sperm that is most likely to create a healthy child. Oh, wow. So if you had three or four people ejaculate inside of you, that your body would seek out the best sperm for you to create a physically healthy creature. Mm. I've also read that one person's sperm kills another person's sperm. Yeah, I don't know. That that I haven't read, but it doesn't mean it's not true. I don't actually, I don't read about those kinds of things that frequently. Right. <laughs> but there uh, are all these, you know, just interesting, like, yeah, that would make sense. And and also in the animal kingdom, we have several family members insofar as like the, the apes and such that are having polyamorous families or are having multi-sex families, right? That you have different creatures having sex with one another Mm -hmm. and so if we're coming from that line of creatures then it would make sense that we would also be similar yeah interesting all right so let's let the audience know again what are the best ways to find out more about you excellent i am yeah sorry i am yael the sex geek y-a-e-l the (laughs) sex geek and i'm on instagram facebook and twitter and I would say that Instagram is the best way to find me. Mm-hmm. And I'm creating a site that'll be up in a couple of weeks called sexpositiveu.com. All right. So that'll be easy to find me through. Too. And what about uh, Yael Rosen, Rosenstock.com? Oh, yes. Yael Rosenstock.com does exist, but mm-hmm. I will be moving it into a more of a like resume type space more about the research i'm doing so if you're interested in research mm-hmm. that's where i'm going to be posting that information um mm-hmm. articles and what have you but mm-hmm. sex positive you will be where i'll be posting more about all the things related to sex specifically because right. i also do work around inclusivity and mm-hmm. around identity and so that kind of stuff will be mixed on the yeah right and you already have a master's degree i believe in, and you're working on your phd correct and what is your what are you uh what is what are you getting your phd in my degree is in health behavior, so public health, mm-hmm. and my research focuses on sex, and I'm particularly interested in Latinas and how Latinas are fetishized by our perceived, and how that differs by our perceived racial categories. Hmm. So I am seen as a white woman. There's lots of Black Latinas. There's Indigenous-looking Latinas. There's Euro-Latin-Tan-mix-looking Latinas. And so hmm. just like seeing how those different experiences exist and how that may interfere or, or interact with our sexual desire. Hmm, interesting. Um, what projects are you working right now that you want more people to know about? I'd love people to learn to follow the Diverse Bodies Project. Hmm. Um, we're really excited. It's been a slow go, but we hmm. have 45 interviews. We're hmm. 
sending out the book, uh, the book lists to everyone to get their approval about the things. And yeah, it's a really great positive project. Folks are excited to be involved. Mm-hmm. I will be releasing a course at the end of the summer called a sex positive you, mm-hmm. and it will be helping people work through different parts of their sexuality and finding themselves, their confidence, their eagerness to work with others, how to find good partners for, for you based upon your interests. Mm-hmm. And I would say one other thing, it's not a project, but I would love folks to go and donate and support um, anyone doing work around what's currently happening with like Minnesota, George mm-hmm. Floyd and yeah. all the other folks who have died, not died, sorry, been murdered in the past yeah. weeks and months, but also in the past few years. Yeah. And so there are um, bail funds where you can donate money to get people out of jail who are protesting. If you look like us and you are at a protest, like put yourself between your, the cops and people of color so that you are less likely to be harmed by the cops and mm-hmm. And help de-escalate situations and so that kind of stuff that's not a project per se but i do really hope people will check that out and i have some examples on my instagram of places you can donate oh cool and how do you how where do they check that out at is there a website yeah. for that um if you go to the Elvis sex geek mm-hmm. on instagram mm-hmm. i posted i think like six different places you can donate and each of those places has their own websites and you can find out more information through them okay great all right, before we wrap it up, do you have one last message that you'd like to leave with the audience? I would like to leave the audience with sex should be fun, exciting, pleasurable, safe, and messy. Mm-hmm. And if you're concerned about any of those things, then talk to people you're having sex with to make sure that everyone's on the same page. Oh, I like that. That's great. All right, Yael, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I really appreciate it. I Again, I wish you massive success with your book. Thank you. And, and you're with the podcast. Oh, thank you very much. And um, good luck on getting your PhD as well. And good luck with this new, um, the bo- is it Body Diversity Project? Is that how you, you, call, you call Diverse it? Bodies Project. Oh, I had it backwards. Diverse Bodies Project. Yes, I wish you best of luck with that as well. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you very much. Have a great rest of your weekend. You too.